The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, very well, welcome to Squawkbox this Thursday morning with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So the sell-off in global bonds just taking a breather after the U.S. private sector jobs report sees its slowest pace of growth since January 2021. ADP's chief economist, Naila Richardson, tells CNBC a recession is not off the table. I think we're going to see a slowdown in the labor market, um, but I think it's still too early to call a recession, though uh, the likelihood of one coming is, is stronger the more we get into this higher for longer interest rate economy, which is new to everybody. Crude oil trying to mount some form of recovery after seeing its biggest one day drop in more than a year. This as demand concerns linger. And of course, Saudi Arabia and Russia are still maintaining voluntary production cuts. Republican hopefuls jockey for position in the race to replace House Speaker Kevin McCarthy as the chaos on Capitol Hill continues ahead of another looming government shutdown. German defense contractor Rank Group pulls its IPO at the 11th hour, citing a clouded market environment. And crypto in court. Opening statements begin in the Sam Bankman-Fried trial over alleged fraud in the collapse of crypto firm FTX. Good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Welcome back. How yeah, was well, Adipak? Um, I thought it was illuminating. Mm. And look, um, I caught up with a lot of old friends from the region and from the industry. And I think I learned a lot out there as well. Um, I'm afraid to say there is still the uh, man and woman who sells oil products still believes oil product is going to remain higher for longer. I think there is yeah. still that psychology. I think actually the most exciting thing is that the industry feels it's got a foot in the door in the COP negotiations which is a dual-edged sword. I think it's great that they're part of the conversation. You cannot have the biggest energy suppliers not part of the conversation and get an all-round solution. That said, they're on trial now. They wanted to be involved in the conversation. They haven't been involved in the conversation. Now prove it was worth it getting involved. And I think that's a very big uh, point to raise as we move up to uh, COP28 at the end of next month. Do you think there's going to be much progress at COP28? Do you think there's a, a sense in the industry that change is going to be coming at this meeting? I think the industry is making a last-ditch defence to say hydrocarbons have to be part of the longer-term solution. And if they are going to be part of the longer-term solution, they need to be lower carbon or indeed carbon neutral. So if they can find uh, decarbonised products, they can find ways of taking the carbon out of the atmosphere, whether it's through, through some form of CCS or uh, DAC, direct air capture, or what have you then great. But the fact of the matter is they're on trial and the technology on trial and, they, and they've got to prove they've got to prove it was worth it. You know, otherwise, you know, we, we're not going to hit Paris. We're not going to hit 1.5. So I think that's fascinating. I think the other thing is obviously about price as well. And it was interesting. I managed to catch a few words off camera with the Secretary General of OPEC. I know Dan spoke to him with a brilliant interview on camera as well. I have a long held view that higher for longer in terms of oil prices very often precedes a recession mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a very delicate equation I've made the point before and I think I made it on air on Monday or Tuesday actually before the most recent decline in price that if we're talking about um, uh, interest rates 
And I, I actually asked the question, what has the greatest ramification, higher interest rates or higher energy prices? And I think we're proving now that higher energy prices are slightly concerning for the world economy. Yeah, and of course we had a big reversal overnight. So I'm just going to yeah. go and take a look at some of the market moves that we saw that uh, moving the oil price down 5%. Obviously a big move for markets uh, across the board. We're in the green, as you can see, the Nasdaq out in front. It was a bit of a wild ride too on the Treasury yield, giving us this turn of events. Uh, there was data, there was movement on yields, and we had a big drop in the oil price. Price. So a lot happening on the street in session yesterday. Now, let's just take a look at the Treasury market. We had cooler than expected U.S. private payrolls. This was a report that crossed the ADP. The market was closely looking at the numbers. Uh, private growth tallying up to 89,000 for the month, down from an upwardly revised 180,000 the month prior. So that's quite a huge change. Services still the prop for the job creation, the tight market that we're seeing in the services component. But in terms of what the Treasury yield did, don't forget at one point, Again, we were still marching higher, 4.88 at one point in session before flipping lower and 4.71 this morning. So fairly significant move in the Treasury yield. In terms of what uh, the market's now shaping up for, whether we get uh, a jobs report as we round out the week on Friday, that plays ball with all the other data that we've had this week from the jobs market. Of course, uh, the jobs openings also had fallen sharply in August. So two data reports on the labour market showing some cooling off and some of those pressures. Let's just see what the big daddy of the, the mix of data jobs report on Friday says about that and what it does for the yield story. In terms of yields, the European yields we've been watching closely too. We've been marching higher on these levels. The 10-year the bund in particular, German bonds have been marching back towards 12-year highs. And you can see we're only eight basis points shy of 3%. Gilt's 4.61. I think there's a huge focus on the finances of the UK as we've been watching the Tory party conference. All the sort of budget manoeuvring around infrastructure projects, high speed two, and cutting back and what that's going to do for the debt profile of the UK. 4.61 on gilts as a result. The Italian paper yielding just 10 basis points shy of 5%. So we're at 4.9, a whisker off that 5% handle and about 3.5 on French paper. To the dollar, let's just take a quick look at that trade on the back of the drop that we saw in those yields late in the session. It's been a prop for some of the other major currencies as dollars given back territory sterling bouncing a quarter of a percent 121 and a half or 105 20 almost on euro dollar so also marching into the green on watch dollar yen rates again the market has been eyeing that 150 mark and whether we get some form of intervention by japanese authorities very cautious around that and there's also a view that we've seen a very low level in the japanese yen so the market just carefully watching that but that said a uh, dollar yen trades this morning down four tenths of a percent Big moves in WTI and Brent. Let's just tally them up. Uh, we saw a fairly significant drop. Don't forget we were closing in on the $100 a barrel mark for Brent and we've been purchased about the 90 handle on both of these trades. Uh, the drop of uh, about five odd dollars, the biggest one day drop in more than a year. But 84.66 now on WTI, half of a percent uh, up at this point in the morning session. So just trying to reverse uh, that uh, fairly steep fall from yesterday. And also uh, on Brent, we've picked up six tenths of a percent. But the market just looking at the, the extent of the borrowing costs now, the rise in the yield that we're seeing and saying that could crimp economic growth and you saw the flip. So some of the bullish trades in the oil market self-correcting too in, in session yesterday. I want to take you to the Asian markets. Don't forget we're still ex-China. Golden Week uh, is still unfolding on that side of the world. And at this point, we've got 
Japanese stocks to the upside. Very strong bounce taking place there. 452 points in the green. Cosby, modestly firmer. Stronger signals out of the Hong Kong market. Three quarters of 1% firmer. And Australia putting on six cents. So in lockstep, moving into positive territory, Steve. Right. Growth in the United States service sector fell to a nine-month low in September, but remained in expansion territory. The ISM services PMI slipped to 53.6 for an industry that accounts for over two-thirds, of course, of the U.S. economy. Uh, we're all data-driven now. Well, uh, the latest bit of data showed that actually the jobs market, well, one piece of data, of course, doesn't make uh, a series, but the private job sector uh, private sector job growth in the US rose by only 89,000 in September, coming in well below expectations, according to the ADP National Employment Report. It is the weakest print since early 2021. The number was driven by gains in the service sector, which contributed 81,000 to the total. Well, speaking to CNBC, the ADP chief economist, uh, Neela Richardson, said the numbers were a cause for concern. Hiring has been solid and we're still under 4% unemployment. So if it's coming from the labor market, I think it's still too early to call a recession. But there's reason to be concerned. I mean, we've almost halved the number of private sector jobs this month. And so looking out into the next three months of this year, um, I think there's reasons to, to think that the labor market is loosening quite a bit. And how loose it gets is, of course, something we'll be keeping track of. All eyes now turning to Friday's key non-farm payrolls report with the Dow Jones Group forecasting the U.S. economy to have added 170,000 jobs in September. The unemployment rate is expected to slip to 3.7 percent, whilst average hourly earnings are expected to grow 0.3 percent. Let's get to Stuart Clark, portfolio manager at Quilter Chevio as well. Uh, Stuart, um, finally, the market's realising a few things. Um, one, that uh, the data is absolutely pivotal. And so hence, I think we're going to see more vo volatility uh, on the basis of every single piece of key data. In fact, and why don't we come in on that as well? Um, do you agree that actually now we're just in for a period of more oscillation where the market works out where the economy is going? Yes, I think that's uh, absolutely right. I mean, we've seen the volatility pick up in the bond market. Uh, and now we're starting to see volatility pick up in the equity market as well. And it is really going to turn on uh, what the latest prints, what the latest data that comes out is. And we've we've got a big week this week and uh, we've seen some big moves on the back of that, uh, not least the ADP number, which we were just discussing. Yeah, the problem is, though, I think uh, a lot of people who are forward thinking have moved on from the data. And actually, people are like, OK, it's about data, which means that we're on inflation watch and jobs watch and recession watch. Uh, and it, then that's going to affect interest rates. Well, I can't help thinking, actually, we need to look at supply of debt, actually, a lot more clearly going forward around the world, because I'm looking at the fiscal position in the United States. I'm looking at the fiscal position just about everywhere else. And it doesn't look pretty. And I think it's the supply of product that people need to start looking at as well. I think it's very important. And one of the big factors, other than if we can say other than the Fed, uh, reiterating the higher for longer statement the other week, is how close we got to that government shutdown in the US. And whilst that can has been kicked down the road, uh, clearly with the ouster of uh, Speaker McCarthy, there's the risk that the budgetary process in the US is going to come back to haunt them in the not too distant future. And it's really uh, putting a big focus on the level of debt in the US. As you say, it's not just restricted to the US, but across the world. Uh, but in the US, particularly the level of debt and the cost of servicing that debt 
And as you say, the supply that's coming further down the road, it's natural, uh, therefore, for the market to demand a slightly higher return for taking on that risk. And we're starting to see it uh, in the yields which are being demanded uh, for, for treasuries. Stuart, the Wall Street Journal has a piece on this today talking about uh, why does it matter now? For a long time, it's been very key that deficits are closely monitored by markets. It's key to economic orthodoxy, but it hasn't mattered for a long time. They're saying, well, why now? And one of the reasons they put forward is, look, you've got an end to QE. Some of these um, the central banks were effectively in the market, very active. Now they're shedding some of those bond holdings, and that's the reversal of the time. Do you agree? Is that why we now have a moment where deficits matter? I think there's uh, there's definitely the fact that QT is restarted uh, post uh, the uh, SVB crisis earlier in the year where liquidity was back provided to the market. And now we're in that situation where it's, it's being taken away. I think also, though, and as uh, the woman from uh, ADP was discussing, as we get closer to a recession and yields are backing up uh, as a result or as part of that process, uh, that the focus on liquidity is natural. uh, And with the deficit levels being where they are today, uh, I suppose atypically compared to the past, you would say as we were entering into a potentially recessionary period, then uh, you would expect the deficits to be somewhat lower and the ability of governments uh, to be able to react uh, in the form of additional spending. Well, we already seem to be there and that's putting putting a, a greater focus on the numbers today than we might have seen in in recent times. To what extent will the high rates we're now seeing on markets act as some sort of fiscal tightening and doing more work for the Fed than perhaps is intended? Uh, I'm I'm not sure it's more work than is intended. I think uh, the the Fed is possibly the same as other as us as market participants has possibly been a bit uh, surprised by the time it's taken for the transmission mechanism of higher rates to feed through actually into the economy. And we've been discussing uh, through the year that whether it's a delayed recession or whether it's a soft landing, one of the uh, other managers we we invest with just said to us the other day, uh, the issue for him is that you will pass through a soft landing on the, on the way to a hard landing. And the focus uh, could be, it could be a mistaken focus on uh, the fact that as inflation is coming down, that the the central banks have achieved the soft landing and everything will be fine. In fact, where we're going through that slowing down process on the way to a slightly worse economic scenario. And that is now what we're seeing in some of these lagging indicators like the uh, employment numbers. Right. Stuart, just quickly, what's mispriced then on the bond markets? We've seen Italian paper move quickly towards 5%. The US yield is moving around. German bonds are on the move too. What's mispriced at this point and what are you watching? Well, I would say, although less mispriced than a, a few weeks ago, it, it would be more the equity market that's mispriced. So as we have seen a sell-off recently, we see this as an, uh, an attractive opportunity for government bonds uh, at, at these levels. Uh, whilst inflation is coming down, this could give an opportunity to build up some of that diversification, traditional diversification that government bonds have been able to offer as we enter into a, an economic slowdown. Stuart, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Very much appreciate you weighing in on uh, what is a big story in markets at this point. Stuart Clark with us, Portfolio Manager at Quilter Chiviot.
Now, coming up on the show, crude crumbles with Brent and WTI both down 5% amid weak demand and after Saudi and Russia extend production cuts. We'll take a look at the latest moves and what comes next in the oil patch just ahead. Plus, back on track, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak tries to reclaim the narrative after speculation over the country's flagship rail project overshadows his party conference. And we'll be speaking to Pandora's CEO, Alexander Lasik, as the firm hosts its Capital Markets Day right here in London. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Bit of a shock to the system for the oil balls yesterday. 86.39 on Brent to WTI trading, 84.69 dipping over 5% the pair on Wednesday amid fuel demand fears and weak macro outlook. Saudi Arabia and Russia also maintained voluntary production cuts. Well, yeah, they've maintained it. They're going to do it, I think, till the end of the first quarter, but that's not even uh, stated policy yet. But OPEC Plus ministers held an online meeting as Brent surged towards $100 a barrel, but prices have come under pressure in recent days amid concern that high rates are here to stay and fears over weaker growth. Uh, the group will next meet on November 26th. And Rita Sen is founder and director of Research Energy Aspects. And Rita, I think you're in Abu Dhabi. I've just come back. I can't believe we missed each other. But look, um, I, I just think that when you look at every recession of the last 50 years plus, we've always had a spike in oil prices ahead of that as well. And I, and I know why Saudi and Russia are doing what they're doing. I get it. But the concern is that they are creating a downtick in demand rather than actually responding to their concerns about keeping oil at a certain level and stable for longer. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yours are far more relevant than mine. Hey, Steve. Uh, yeah, sorry. Literally, we missed each other and I couldn't uh, figure out timings for yesterday. But uh, in terms of um, Russia and Saudi, look, I think particularly or just generally, I'd say OPEC policy, they have been very concerned about demand concerns, right? Whenever I am speaking with any of the ministers, really, and Prince Abdulaziz in particular has even highlighted that the macro concerns with the Fed raising interest rates does mean that demand is likely to falter sooner rather than later. So you heard him say, right? He is being cautious. He's preempting that slowdown. And that's precisely why they wanted, they, or, or rather even right now, they want inventories to be low enough so that when there is a demand slowdown and we get a build, we actually don't put too much downward pressure on prices. As for high oil prices causing a demand slowdown, I mean, look, the reality is what matters is gasoline and diesel prices, right? And crack spreads have been coming off a lot. I mean, gasoline cracks have cratered over the last uh, month or so. So even as Brent and TI have been going up, we are not paying higher or more at the pump. And I think that's the bit that gets lost 
we've had a lot of media headlines as Brent and TI and have racing. started to rise, but the reality is that pump prices haven't really changed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was those crack spreads, it was those distillates, it was those products that everyone said, that's where you've got to look at because that's where the problem is, that's where we're tighter. And, Rita, the oldest adage in the book is the cure for higher prices is higher prices. The Saudis know this better than anyone. I can't help thinking, though, but by taking prices higher, by squeezing the consumer at a time when everyone is struggling for a whole host of other reasons, making oil part of the problem is just not the smartest medium-term policy as well. Have they made a big mistake in taking five million barrels off the table at a time when people are struggling in a hundred other ways? And I completely get your point. Look, high interest rates, um, having had zero interest rates for 12 years, is um, going to be hurting consumers. And we've already seen lots of cracks, whether it's in the U.S., whether it's in emerging markets. But I also really don't think $90 oil is a high price. Um, yes, when crack spreads were $30, $40, uh, when we were basically paying $130, $140 for gasoline and diesel, that's a different issue. But we're not paying that right now. And I really do believe OPEC Plus, firstly, I don't think they've kept Five millions off the market. Remember, a lot of these countries can't even produce their nameplate capacity. But I really do believe OPEC Plus, and particularly the voluntary cuts that have been taken off, if the view is that the global economy could do with lower prices and uh, it requires more supply, I do think Saudi Arabia will come and give those barrels back. So I don't think the tightening is, you know, it's, it's not it's not geared towards pushing, uh, putting pressure on uh, consumers. Of course, there's a causality here with regards to what causes what. But I do think the macro outlook has been bleak for some time. It's just that Q3, there was a lot of euphoria around, oh, we've averted a recession. We've never been of that view. I think that data is just coming to roost right now. Yeah, and look, His Royal Highness, Abdulaziz bin Salman, he knows this better than I do. But when you, you say give those barrels back to the market... It takes years to get that market share back, potentially. The 80s being a great example, the mid-80s, of how long it took the Saudis. Once they'd taken market share off, it takes a long while to get it back again. So they're, they're fully aware of this. I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here as well. But, but, but in terms of, the, I think, the biggest X factor that you and I haven't mentioned yet, and that is Chinese demand. We've all been very surprised, despite the concerns about the Chinese economy, how robust the Chinese demand has been regardless. But has that been a head faint? Has that been about filling up a Chinese SPR? And actually, is real Chinese demand weaker uh, than many people have feared as well, or, or actually not? I mean, that's what I really want your insight on. No, and you know, I was in China for the first time since COVID just a month ago now. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Traffic is back to normal. It takes about an hour to get uh, go five miles. I could have run faster. So I was like, okay, demand's back. Um, and I think every uh, refiner we've met has said one thing, that Chinese oil demand and the macro have completely decoupled. You can see that in the data right now. Gasoline and jet, we know it's the reopening. That's why people are traveling. What surprised me, Steve, was diesel. Um, you would think with the manufacturing slowdown, diesel demand would be weak. It hasn't been. And I think one of the big takeaways for me from China was the composition of Chinese demand is changing. In the past, say five, six years ago, diesel was 40% driven by transportation. Today, that's 70%. More coal moving around, more e-commerce. So it's not, I'm not saying that oil demand growth is going to be 1.6 million barrels per day from China again next year. This was a COVID reopening. But I do think it'll still be 500,000. And the SPR, uh, they've actually been drawing down some of the commercial inventories and they have some refilling to come in the coming months. But that's really not been the big driver. Product demand is actually pretty robust there.
And Rita, let me ask you about U.S. demand too, because J.P. Morgan was looking at some of the domestic data from the United States, from the, the EIA, and saying, look, you've now got uh, domestic stocks of petrol rising. That is an element uh, that is telling us the higher oil price, the higher gas price is impacting demand stateside. Do you think that is the case? We've now got demand destruction in the United States because of higher prices? I think it's too soon to say that because, again, you know, yesterday's data was a looks like a bit of an outlier and it's the weekly numbers. It has a lot of noise. Um, in general, gasoline demand has been OK at best, I would say. It hasn't been great. But I would say diesel, again, for me, has surprised because everybody agrees we are in an industrial recession. We expected diesel demand to be down year on year. It's pretty flat. Um, and that is, again, it shows the resiliency of kind of the industrial side in terms of the, the, the diesel picture. But what I will say is that one of the metrics we are watching is the excess savings that have been accumulated since COVID. And our forecasts are showing all those excess savings will have been run down by the end of this year. And I think that's the big question for me. Has that been keeping oil demand going in the U.S. despite, you know, relatively high gasoline and diesel prices at the pump? Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got student loans, you've generally got higher interest rates. So we are concerned about U.S. demand. That's why we have U.S. demand falling year on year next year. We've had that for some time. So I am expecting demand to continue to slow down, but I'm not expecting a collapse either. Amrita, uh, the crystal ball, how bumpy is the ride on oil prices from here into the rest of the year end? It's going to be bumpy. Uh, we are basically talking about still very strong oil specific fundamentals versus a pretty weak and weakening macro backdrop. Uh, macro overwhelms oil. I think you guys know this very well. It's kind of, you know, when, when oil bulls uh, try to remain bullish, it's like taking a knife to a gunfight. The, the macro market is so much bigger. Right here, right now, um, I think there is going to be a lot of turbulence. But if you look at time spreads, the backwardation is still there. It does tell me underlying fundamentals for oil are still robust, but it's just going to take a while for us to rebase before we can move back up again towards year end. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.